Welcome to Love Well on Purpose, a podcast giving you biblical encouragement to love the people around you with intentionality. I'm your host, Rachel Shell. We only have one week after today left in the Love Well series. And today we are going to be talking about one of my favorite passages in scripture. There are so many great passages, obviously, but this one is one that um, never fails to convict me. And I hope that you find it convicting in the most encouraging way possible. Let's get to it. Loving well is pretty easy, except it's not. Loving the people that look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, that's pretty easy. But loving the people that look nothing like us, that believe nothing like we do, that speak in a totally different way than we do, that act and parent and do all these things completely different than we do, it's much harder to love those people well. We have to love them well because that is what Jesus has commanded us. But it's hard and it's a challenge. And so that's where I find this passage in John 4 so challenging and so encouraging because it reminds me that we are not just to love the people that look like us and believe like us, but we are to love every single image bearer. And that means every single person, whether they look like us, act like us or not. So let's look at John 4. Let's see this woman of the well, um, the woman from Samaria, and see what we can learn about loving well and about Jesus' example to us in this passage. I'm not going to read all of the passage to you. You can read it for yourself, John 4, 1 through 42. Um, But I do want to kind of give a little synopsis and explain kind of the significance behind Samaria and all of those things as we look at this passage so Jesus is going and he um, is leaving Judah and he or Judea and he is departing for Galilee. He and his disciples are all heading down and it says in verse four, he had to pass through Samaria. Now that alone is an interesting sentence because <laughs> Jesus did not have to pass through Samaria. It was the shortest route, but no pious Jew would have chosen to go through Samaria. Um, that was something that they did not do. They despised Samaritans. And David Guzik, in his commentary in John 4, gives us a really great synopsis of what happened, of how these Samaritans came to be, and why there was such a um, an animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. So I'm going to just read you verbatim what he says. Um, i This commentary is through blueletterbible.org, and I will link all of that in my show notes for you. But this is what he says. When the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, they took almost all the population captive, exiling them to the Babylonian empire. All they left behind were the lowest classes of society because they didn't want these lowly regarded people in Babylonia. These ones left behind intermarried with other non-Jewish peoples who slowly came into the region, and the Samaritans emerged as an ethnic and religious group. Because the Samaritans had a historical connection to the people of Israel, their faith was a combination of commands and rituals from the law of Moses put together with various superstitions. Most of the Jews in Jesus' time despised the Samaritans, disliking them even more than Gentiles because they were religiously speaking, half-breeds who had an eclectic, mongrel faith. The Samaritans built their own temple to Yahweh on Mount Gerizim, but the Jews burned it around 128 BC. This obviously made relations between the Jews and the Samaritans even worse. 
Okay, so we can see that there was an issue that the Jews had because um, the Samaritans had basically been left to their own devices, had um, become this their own ethnic religious group, and had merged together a whole bunch of different ideas and superstitions and beliefs um, to make their own kind of faith. And so the Jewish people had major issues with that. Um, but at the end of the day, the Samaritans didn't choose to have the outcome that they had. Um, they didn't choose to be left behind. Um, they didn't choose to be looked at as not even worth being captured. Um, and so they already were just disregarded from the very beginning. And, um, I think that it's key to recognize the importance of who these Samaritans were and, and the really the terrible reasons why they were outcasts. Um, because of their, of their faith, they were disregarded because they had been, um, of the lowest classes of society. They had been, um, tossed aside. And so they really had just been given the short end of the stick from the very beginning, um, through no fault of their own, really. And so the Jewish people, could not stand the Samaritans. And so for in verse 4, when we see that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, we see that he operates differently than any of the religious people of that day. Um, we see that all throughout Scripture that God and Jesus continually operate on a different um, standard than we as humans tend to. And so Jesus passes through. He gets to Samaria. It's around noon, and it's super hot outside. And so Jesus stops at a well. The disciples go into town to go buy food, and Jesus is kind of sitting there hanging out. Now, this well would have been the same well. Um, it was a significant place. And so the same, the same area where this well was is um, the verse uh, in Josh, Joshua 24, where you hear um, where Joshua made the vow. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the same area that that vow was made. And so it's a significant place, especially considering what's about to happen and the encounter that's about to happen. So the Samaritan woman comes up and she comes in the middle of the day to the well to draw water. Most of the time, women would have come in groups and it would have been, you know, you think about um, the gossip book around the water cooler at work. Well, that was similar to what they would do. This was their time for the women to all um, kind of come together with their little groups of friends and for them to talk and gossip and catch up on the day and talk about their children and talk about their their lives. And um, just to have that time of fellowship and friendship as they were going to the well collecting the water. So they would have gone in groups, generally at a cooler part of the day. So either in the evening when it started to cool off or in the morning when it was still cool. Um, and so for this woman to be by herself in the middle of the day already signifies that she is not fitting in with everyone else. There is something different about her, whether she was ostracized or whether um, life had just kind of thrown her some curveballs and she hadn't been able to get water earlier in the day. Whatever the case was, she was kind of marching to her own <laughs> drum at that point. And so she comes and she's drawing the water and Jesus asks her for water. And they wind up having this long conversation back and forth about um, living water and drawing water and that Jesus didn't have anything to draw it with and all of these different things. And um, you can read it for yourself and I encourage you to read it for yourself. Um, but it's significant that Jesus spoke to her at all. 
It would have been unusual for a Jewish man to speak to a woman, even his wife, out in public. Um, that was not looked at as normal, specifically for rabbis to do that. Um, rabbis would not have been speaking to women in public. And so for for Jesus to be speaking to this woman, it caught her off guard. She was really thrown off and she asked him, why are you speaking to me? Um, and I don't blame her. That would have been a really weird thing for her to try to figure out like, what is this? What's the deal here? Um, and so as they continued to speak, um, she starts to realize like, hey, something's, something's different about this person. Um, and he winds up calling her out and saying, you know, hey, go get your husband, which wouldn't have been an unusual request. It would have been pretty normal for, um, for a Jewish man, if he's going to have a serious conversation with a woman, to include her husband in that conversation. That would have just been the respectful, proper thing to do. And so he says, hey, go get your husband. Well, he obviously knows the situation, but she answers honestly, and she goes, I don't have a husband. Well, she left out a little bit of that, right? That was truthful. She did not have a husband. But Jesus calls her out and he's like, hey, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the person you're living with right now is not your husband. Um, I don't know about you, but that would kind of rub me the wrong way. I'd be a little frustrated. I'd be real confused trying to figure out how he knew all this stuff about me. But the interesting thing is that she's not offended by this. David Guzik goes on to say in his commentary, um, the whole interaction with Jesus did not leave her with the impression he hates me or he judges me or he doesn't want me around. It left her with the impression that quite possibly Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Christ. And so I think that that alone is a, is a turning point for us that Jesus called out all of these things, that he pointed out these things. He knew these things about her. And yet she never felt ostracized or hated or judged by him. Instead, what we see is that she goes, the disciples come back. She leaves, she leaves her water pot at the well, almost as it's a signifying uh, that she's coming back, right? leaves her water pot, goes back into town and tells them all, oh my goodness, this man at the well, you have to come see. He told me everything about myself and you have to just come here. You have to hear for yourself. And so as a result, um, we see in verse 39 through 42 that, um, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I have, that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And so her testimony was, he told me all that I ever did. Um, and so I want to I point out the fact, not that Jesus pointed out her sins, Not that her life was transformed after he pointed out her sins. I want us to look and see that he pointed out her sins, but he was not condemning her. He was not judging her. He was not throwing shade at her. He was not um, criticizing her for that. He was speaking truthfully and honestly, yes. But at the end of the day, Jesus was doing what he always does, which is to lead with love. He was lavishing love. He was loving the Samaritan woman well. We don't know her name, but she has transcended through history as a woman that we look to in scripture. And so 
we, we want to look at this example and see that Jesus loved her. Yes, he pointed out the sin, but it's not about that nearly as much as it is about how much he loved her. Um, Jackie Hill Perry, if you don't know, is a speaker and she is phenomenal. She's a poet. She's a speaker. She's a writer, an author, and um, she has written a book called Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been. And there's a quote in this um, book that is phenomenal and I think points to the scripture and um, works well together with it. She said, I just wonder if they would have told me about the beauty of God just as much, if not more, than they told me about the horridness of hell if I would have burned my idols at a faster pace. Let me read that again. I just wonder if they would have told me about the beauty of God just as much, if not more, than they told me about the horridness of hell if I would have burned my idols at a faster pace. I think that's really profound. And I think that that should give us pause. Um, and this, this passage in John 4 should give us pause. Because, first of all, yes, Jesus called out her sin, but not before he first saw her and not before he spoke with her. Jesus consistently put himself in positions where he would be around people that did not think, believe, act, or look like him. He could have put himself consistently around pious Jewish people, around religious leaders, around Pharisees, and and focused his ministry on these people. Instead, Jesus consistently is putting himself around the people that these religious leaders looked at as outcasts, looked at as less than, and he saw them as image bearers to God, and he loved them. Yes, he loved them because he is God. But he came as Jesus. He was in human form. And so he sets that example for us that we need to be looking at the people that look different, act different, think different than us. And so Jesus called out her sin, but he first saw her. He first spoke with her. He got to know her. And so he is giving us a human example of what it means to love others well, not just love church members well, not just love fellow believers well, not just love our friends or our family well, but instead to love every single person as they are because they are an image bearer of God. And so if we are going to love people well, then we cannot wait for the lost world to get saved to love them well. No, we must love them well in hopes of helping them encounter the saving love of Jesus. But friends, we can't love well with an evangelical love. That is not loving well on purpose to the fullest extent. See, the Holy Spirit is responsible for a person's salvation. So we, while we need to share our testimony and we need to speak about the saving power of Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for everyone's sins and that everyone has the chance to get to heaven if they will simply believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior and repent and turn from their sins. If we believe that, then we need to share that testimony with others and we need to encourage them to encounter Jesus. But... Loving well on purpose is a standalone issue from telling them about salvation. Loving well on purpose is simply loving them with a Christ-like love. 
where they are right in their messy middle, right in the middle of their sin and their junk, right in the middle of them not having a husband, having had five husbands and living with a man who is not currently their husband, right? Right in the middle of that, that messy, murky middle to instead lavish love and say, you know what? You are valuable. You are precious in the sight of the Lord and you are precious in my sight and I love you. And so I want us to look at this passage in John 4 and be reminded and convicted that we need to be putting ourselves in situations where we are consistently encountering people that are outcasts by the rest of the religious world and instead look at them as image bearers of God himself and look for ways that we can connect with them, that we can lavish love on them, and that in doing that, we are helping them encounter the saving love of Jesus. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Love Well and Purpose podcast. The quotes and passages that I shared in this podcast are available on the show notes, rachelshelb.com slash the podcast. I'd love it if you would follow me on Instagram at rachelshelb, as well as join my email list. I send out a monthly newsletter and share some of the things that you may have missed, as well as some of my favorite things. You can sign up for that as well at rachelshelb.com. I'm always so grateful for y'all being here. Don't forget, next week is the last episode of the Love Well series, and then the podcast is going to take a short break for the rest of the summer, and we will pick back up in the middle of August. Thank you so much for being here, and I look forward to speaking with you next week. For now, let's go Love Well on Purpose.